Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.21 a.m., my dudes, my duderinos, my duders, my dudettes, dudin, dudin, dudin. I was just watching for the probably eighth time, The Big Lebowski. If you have not watched this movie, or if you have only watched it once, you're missing out, bro. You're missing out. You got to watch it like a couple of times at least. Otherwise, you don't understand what the movie is about. The movie has nothing to do with the story that is presented to you in the movie. It's about the dialogue between the characters. And then it's about the characters themselves. And the only way that that can be fully expressed is by this ridiculous story that they've wrapped around the characters and the dialogue of kidnapping, the kidnapping of Tara Reid's character, and all the rest of it. That That whole story, whether you buy it or not, whether you think it's interesting or not, that whole story has nothing to do with the movie. Amazingly enough, it's about to, all it does is set up dialogues between characters. It's the dialogue that you're interested in. The story, don't worry about it. It has nothing to do with anything. It's the dialogue. That's where the real humor kicks in. That's where we really get to see a lot of the most insane humanity that you'll ever see. So if you haven't watched it, or if you've only watched it once and you just thought to yourself, I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand what the big thing is. Watch it again. But this time, don't worry about the story. Just the dialogue. That's the only thing that matters. Now, let's, let's get into this. We're going to have to do it because... I'm sure everybody is like looking at Noster and Bitcoin Twitter and wondering, you know, possibly why Bitcoin Magazine decided to get stupid. Um, But they got stupid. And here's why. Bitcoin Magazine to auction historic magazine covers as one of one inscriptions. BTC Casey writing for Indeed Bitcoin Magazine uh, reporting on themselves. Bitcoin Magazine is launching its first ever ordinals collection called Bitcoin Magazine Historic Covers. The collection features one-of-one inscriptions of the first 23 covers ever printed by Bitcoin Magazine, representing the publication's journey from its founding in 2012 to Bitcoin's 10th anniversary in 2019. The collection will be sold in a trust-minimized Dutch auction on the Gamma Marketplace Saturday, April the 15th, which was two days ago, so that's already happened. The launch will showcase, or did showcase, cutting-edge auction technology in the Ordinal's market that leverages partially signed Bitcoin transactions to minimize the trust of the auction process. Gamma 
will be releasing this technology with Bitcoin Magazine as a launch partner. Oh, you, so it gets worse forever. Providing buyers with a transparent and trust-minimized buying experience and ensuring the release of the inscription to the winning bid is automatic through the rules of the Bitcoin protocol. Bitcoin Magazine Historic Covers Collection offers a unique and limited edition representation of Bitcoin Magazine's journey and captures the spirit of the Bitcoin community and the evolution of the Bitcoin landscape from the early days in 2012 until 2019. Each winner of a historic cover inscription will also receive a physical copy of the Bitcoin Magazine issue they purchased, further highlighting the unique history and scarcity of these publications. David Bailey, CEO of Bitcoin Magazine, said, quote, We're experimenting at the edge of Bitcoin innovation and venturing into uncharted territory. Our historic covers collection is the start of Bitcoin Magazine's journey in the world of ordinals. We're thrilled to offer our readers in the Bitcoin community a chance to own a piece of Bitcoin history, end quote. The launch of the Ordinals Collection by Bitcoin Magazine marks a new era in the world of Bitcoin. No, it doesn't. Where fans and enthusiasts of the cryptocurrency can own a piece of history. Owning a piece of Bitcoin history is freaking rare pepes. Okay? <laughs> That's a piece of Bitcoin history. This, this is nothing. This doesn't even, this doesn't even make sense, except for the fact that this sounds to me like the entire, this entire operation, this entire exercise is just an advertisement for the Gamma Marketplace, which apparently is using PSBTs or partially signed Bitcoin transactions in, in order to facilitate the auction. And honestly, okay, that's cool. Why don't we do that for like me selling one of my guitars? You know, that's a one of one, you know, it's got, you know, any, any one of my guitars has a serial number somewhere on that son of a bitch. And that serial number does not match any other guitar from that brand and probably no other serial number from any brand because the chances of them using the same notation is probably really minuscule. You get my drift. Hell, even one of my amplifiers, I could probably do the same thing. You know, I've got two Mesa Boogie Mark Threes and a Fender Blackface Reverb Twin, right? And none of them, none of them are the same as any of the other ones produced by either one of those companies. Those are one of ones. I could see doing a PSBT auction on that, but at least you get something that does something. In this case, what do you get? Right-click and save ability on a Bitcoin inscription. And the fact that they send you a Bitcoin magazine, you know, in, in physical form, whoop-de-doo. Sorry, there's some work going on outside. I can't do a thing about it. I know it's annoying, but it is what it is. I refuse. I absolutely refuse to not do the show today because these guys are out there working on the uh, unit below us. So bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. Now, getting back to this whole Bitcoin magazine fracas, um, there are many people that are clearly not happy with this crap, like at all, like at all. I'm not happy with it at all. Bitcoin Magazine of all people should know better. Why? Because of Bitcoin Magazine's history itself. Bitcoin Magazine was started by a group of people, one of which, Vitalik Buterin, believe it or not. This is before Ethereum, right? So then he sold his stake to somebody and he had a pretty large stake too. And after that stake was sold, Bitcoin Magazine turned into Shitcoin Magazine. And it stayed that way 
It was talking about altcoins. At the time, we didn't really, we weren't calling them shitcoins yet, but they were, we, they were doing altcoins. They were talking about Litecoin and how Charlie Lee was great and how all these different things were going to, I don't know, solve all of our problems. And of course, they didn't. They just caused more problems to occur. Be that as it may, wow, they're really getting after it outside. Uh, be that as it may, they um, finally, finally, after a few, after you know, a good amount of years, just got, I think they got sold again. And the, I think it may have been David Bailey. I'm not sure about that part. But a decision was made at Bitcoin Magazine a few years ago to go back to being Bitcoin only. And they did that. And kudos, because not only did they say they were going to do it, they did do it. And it was rare, like it's sort of like me. I talk about shit coins only in times that you need to know about what's going on. And Bitcoin Magazine was doing the same thing. But this, this has put Bitcoin Magazine firmly back on the edge of falling into direct shit coinery. Just because it's ordinals and inscriptions does not make it not shit coinery like kind of thing, right? So we can be mad at Bitcoin Magazine because that is just, well, they need pushback, right? It doesn't mean clobber them with calling them scumbags and like really nasty names, but there is no reason whatsoever that you can't voice your frustration and say, why of all people, of all people to join into the stupidity, why was it Bitcoin Magazine? I don't know because Bitcoin Magazine has been one of my favorite publications. I read you Bitcoin Magazine articles at least every day, at least one, if not two. I try to get up to three or four, you know, because they have really good writers. They cover a lot of stuff. It's, a, it, it's good content. And then they did this. And people are rightly angry about it. And if you're angry about it, don't feel bad. Just go ahead and be angry about it. But if you're going to get crawl under David Bailey and the rest of Bitcoin Magazine's staff skin, do it the right way. Now, there's been a couple of people who are so angry that they are starting to talk about giving up their Bitcoin 2023 tickets. Why would you do that? You already They already have your money, right? And the Bitcoin 2023, although I've never been to one, the only thing that I ever hear about it is how great it is to go to a place and meet all the people that you've either read about or know about or you've, you've heard on podcasts or whatever because everybody's there. There's no reason to flush your ticket down the toilet or give it to somebody else or ask for, well, I guess if they're going to give you a refund, if you can get your money back, then in my opinion, that's the only credible point at which you should you say, you know what? I don't want to have nothing to do with you. Screw you. Screw your conference. I want my money back. Here's your damn ticket. You go sell it to somebody else. That, for me, is the only credible way to do it. But just giving your ticket away in disgust or not going in disgust, especially, especially if you've already made arrangements like hotels and flights and stuff, dude, don't do that. That's just being childish. If you're gonna, if you're going to do something, then go to the. If you already have your ticket, you were already planning to go. You already had the money budgeted to go do that. Okay, you already got all your stuff lined up. 
then go and tell the people at Bitcoin Magazine what you think face to face, right? Don't hide behind Noster and Bitcoin Twitter and whatever. Go and tell David Bailey, go to the Bitcoin Magazine booth and don't be rude, but tell them that you're highly disappointed with these actions and that you kind of want them to do something that's going to make it right. And give them give them an example of what they can do to make it right. At this point, I have no examples of what that could possibly be. But maybe you do. Everybody's got a good idea. You might as well pull this one out of your butt, fly your happy ass down to Miami, go to Bitcoin 2023, go to the Bitcoin Magazine booth and tell them, I don't, I don't, I don't like this. I don't think what you did was a smart move. And I think it's going to hurt your, your publications, you know, what, uh, people buying the magazine, people engaging with the magazine, because it is. In my eyes, I lost some respect for Bitcoin Magazine today. And it's really sad. I really like the publication. And now my question is this, does it get even worse from here? That's the real question. If they just stop, right now, and this is the only time they engage with ordinals and inscriptions, I'll give them a pass. I will. I'll totally give them a pass. You may not agree with me, but I'm going to give them a pass. But my gut feeling says that this isn't the end of the stupid. Because once you engage with stupid, it has a tendency to put its claws into you and drag you down to the stupid hole. And, you know, if you want to go down any holes, go down the rabbit hole. Don't go in the other one. That's the stupid hole. So, anyway... Just be smart about your plans for Bitcoin 2023. It's an expensive ticket. Don't screw this up. You have, at this point, if you're pissed at Bitcoin Magazine and you've got a ticket to go, then you've got a voice live and in presence at Bitcoin 2023, and you can go tell them how you feel about it. Just do it in a respectful manner. Figure out what you're going to say. Don't let your emotions get a hold of you. And go tell them how you feel. Because you've already got a ticket to ride, brothers and sisters. So now China, China's state-affiliated banks are onboarding crypto companies in Hong Kong. I thought China hated crypto. Well, I guess not. Prescient Jaw, tell us more. Cointelegraph. Hong Kong's push to become a crypto hub has opened an opportunity for not just crypto companies, but many state-affiliated banks in China. The Chinese banks have shown interest in building partnerships and onboarding regulated crypto companies in Hong Kong, despite a blanket ban on crypto-related activities in mainland China. The Hong Kong arm of the major Chinese state-owned Bank of Communications is collaborating with several cryptocurrency businesses registered in the city. The bank is now in open account or now opening accounts for regulated companies, according to a report published by the Wall Street Journal. In addition to the Bank of Communications, ZA Bank, Hong Kong's largest virtual bank controlled by Chinese internet insurer Zhang An Online and PNC Insurance, will also act as the settlement bank for the crypto companies. The banks will together facilitate the depositing and withdrawal of fiat currencies. Along with providing account services to cryptocurrency businesses, these banks will serve as settlement banks to enable token deposits at authorized exchanges to be withdrawn in Hong Kong dollars, Chinese yuan, and U.S. dollars. At the start of the year, Hong Kong's financial secretary, Paul Chan, 
clarified that the city is pushing to collaborate with more crypto firms this year. As a result of the government's progressive crypto approach, nearly 80 cryptocurrency firms have shown interest in opening or expanding their business in the cities. Sorry, in the city. The government's crypto push has attracted some surprising allies in the form of Chinese banks and funds. As Cointelegraph reported, besides onboarding crypto companies and opening bank accounts for regulated firms, the Chinese government-backed CPIC Investment Management launched two crypto funds. CPIC is the second largest insurance firm in mainland China, and its newly launched crypto funds are focused on institutional investors. So this is actually an extension of the story that I brought to you sometime last week that was talking about Chinese insurance companies jumping into the game. Well, they are continuing to jump into the game by announcing all this stuff. And insurance is not something to be sneezed at. Every single property, okay, think of commercial real estate and residential real estate, right? industrial real estate as well but all that industrial that all that stuff comes under commercial real estate all of it needs to be insured so right after the real estate market in general being one of the if not the most market cap has the most market capitalization of any other industry on the planet right next to it has to be insurance because every single one of those properties are going to be insured especially if they have anything to do with a loan set against the property itself, they're going to demand that you pay insurance on that property because if anything happens, they want to make sure that they recover their loan principal at least. All right. So insurance is just right up there with real estate and it's not to be sneezed at. And now China looks like mm, we may just get back into the crypto thing, which hopefully will, well, not hopefully, it will probably be a very bad thing for them to do because if you think that the Chinese people are not going to try to scam everybody out of their money using crypto, then you're wrong. Why? Because people are people. Back to Bitcoin Magazine. Let's see if they can uh, shine a little bit better light on themselves this time. Game on. The challenge of introducing Bitcoin to uninterested Gen Z college students. Tali Lindbergh is writing this for Bitcoin Magazine. Now, before we begin, let me make sure that you understand that they're, Tali Lindbergh is the wife of Scott Lindbergh. I interviewed Scott Lindbergh in, epi in episode 693 of Bitcoin and where we were talking about the game him and his wife developed called Hoddle Up. And I haven't played the game yet, okay? I don't have a copy of it, right? I'm kind of like, you know, I, I buy food. That's what I buy with my money right now. It's kind of hard to get a hold of stuff that uh, you just want to test out uh, when your wife is like, and how much did that cost? <laughs> Especially when I can go take 25, 50 bucks and take it over to, you know, Safeway or whatever, and go get like uh, milk and eggs and, you know, stuff, at least until the farmer's market opens. Because uh, the farmer's market out here actually isn't all that expensive. It's kind of amazing. In either event, I just want to make sure that you know that the person that's writing what we're about to read, her husband was interviewed on this show, episode 693. So go check it out and you'll learn more all about Hoddle Up, which is going to be talked about probably in this game, uh, in this story. Hyper-Bitcoinization is a future that all Bitcoiners hope to witness 
It is defined via the Nakamoto Institute as a voluntary transition from an inferior currency to a superior one, and its adoption is a series of individual acts, end quote. But who are the individuals who must act to transition from using a given currency to using Bitcoin? I submit that today's Gen Z college students will play a major role in that transition. Unfortunately, most of them are not following Bitcoin threads on Twitter, nor are they reading articles about the latest developments in monetary policy, yet they are the future leaders of our country and the world and possess the power to influence policy. It is crucial that we find a way to reach them and educate them about Bitcoin, and that's why, as a passionate Bitcoin enthusiast, I am determined to make a difference and introduce this revolutionary freedom technology to college students. For me, making a difference means investing my time to impact however slightly, those who have not yet joined the Bitcoin ranks. And in this article, I share my experience and lessons learned with a recent example. My conclusion is we are empowered, obligated even, to make a difference in sharing Bitcoin with the young people in our lives. Visiting my daughter with a Bitcoin game in hand. I recently traveled to visit my oldest child at her college. Thankfully, she has a healthy friend group that shares traditional and respectful values. They're good, salt-of-the-earth kids who just happen to know nothing at all about Bitcoin. It's my perfect audience. I arrived armed with nothing but my passion and a Bitcoin board game that I created with my husband, Hoddle Up. For the next two hours, I sat on a cold, hard dorm room floor playing the game with six students. My goal, to spark their curiosity about Bitcoin in a fun way. These students major in business, environmental science, mathematics, and psychology. While they had all heard about Bitcoin through media headlines, they had no real knowledge of what it is and how it works, or even why it's important. Explaining the game to them was fast and easy. They had no questions about Bitcoin. They just wanted to know how to play the game. So I spent no time explaining the parts of the game and what they meant in real life. I simply told them each player's options at each turn. The game began and the students picked up the pace quite quickly. As the game progressed, the students shared friendly small talk <clears throat> or smack talk, sorry, friendly smack talk as they attacked and defended their play Bitcoin. The room echoed with their laughter and it warmed my heart. At the same time, however, I was itching for them, any of them, to ask me anything about what they were experiencing in the game. The difficulty adjustment, the having, the hot and cold wallets, just anything. It was hard to hold my tongue and not spoil the fun. As the game progressed, the students shared, oh, sorry. <laughs> the game ended with a three-way tie and a close fourth place. All the students had wide beaming smiles on their faces as they high-fived each other and celebrated. Then they began to help me pack up the game pieces. As the last piece was put back into the box, I was feeling anxious that still not one had asked me any questions. Quote, oh my gosh, is someone going to ask me something? I thought, somebody ask me something. Now we're getting somewhere. The students all exclaimed that the game was super fun and thanked me for sharing it. Quote, great, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Ask me something about Bitcoin. Nope. <laughs> nope. Unable to contain myself any longer, I asked them, quote, does anyone have any questions about the game? No responses. One more try. Does anyone understand why Bitcoin has a difficulty adjustment? What? One student responded, wait, that was real? Quote, 
Yes, everything in this game has something to do with how Bitcoin works in real life, I answered. Quote, what did you learn about the hot and cold wallets? What's your best practice? One student answered, well, I learned that I should keep some money in cold, but some in hot so I can make educated investments. What? I thought, what do you think the hot and cold wallets represent? I asked them. A different student answered, liquid and non-liquid assets. Uh Oh, now we're getting somewhere, I thought. I clarified what cold storage really is and the importance of keeping their private keys offline. Then I asked, if you have a dollar and shoved it in your pocket, how can someone steal it without touching it? Without a hesitation, one of the students replied, through money printing. (laughs) I then explained that one of the best features of Bitcoin is that there will only ever be 21 million BTC and no more. No matter how much someone justifies needing more, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin with a scheduled release that is managed through halving events. It was tough not to sound preachy. I wrapped up by telling the environmental science student how Bitcoin uses wasted energy, making it productive, and forwarded a couple of articles to him. I also gave a few book recommendations to the business student who said he wanted to read up on Bitcoin over the summer. As I was driving home, I replayed the evening in my mind and wondered if I'd made any difference at all. Then I received a text from one of the students. He thanked me for the opportunity to play HODL up. It was rather insightful, he said. Insightful? Insightful is good, I thought. I'll take insightful. Quote, I'm just there to plant a seed, I reminded myself. Instead of focusing on trying to orange pill someone, I'm just planting a seed. In time, life and circumstances will water the seed, and hopefully one day the person will find themselves sliding down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, but I can't insist on seeing the fruit of the seed as soon as I plant the seed. That feeds my ego, but is the wrong focus for what I'm doing and will place an unnecessary and unhelpful strain on my interactions with students. So, going forward, here are three things I plan to keep in mind and that I recommend to parents, grandparents, and teachers in sharing Bitcoin with young adults. One, warm up the audience and create positive association. It was infinitely easier to gain the students' attention in discussing Bitcoin after they've associated a fun experience with Bitcoin than if I went in cold, hence game first. Number two, focus on a good time, not teaching the nitty gritty. Keep things simple and light. Explain only as necessary or if asked and avoid soapbox syndrome. And three, and finally, remember, we're just planting the seed. Everyone comes to Bitcoin when they are ready. We must keep a low time preference perspective. On to the next game on. All right. Um, this, this paragraph right here is something I'm intensely interested in. I'm just there to plant a seed, I reminded myself. Instead of focusing on trying to orange pill someone, I'm just planting a seed. In time, life and circumstances will water the seed. And hopefully one day the person will find themselves sliding down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. I can't insist on seeing the fruit of that seed as soon as I plant the seed. That feeds the ego. Now, all that's perfect for Bitcoin, but it's also perfect if I take that outside and and talk about like like a permaculture place that I would that I've been wanting to build for three years. 
and it's going to cost, I probably won't be able to build it in any other way than a fictional book because I'm talking about the purchase of a full section of land at 640 acres, 1,440 black walnut trees planted on it, about 4,800 black locust trees planted on it, and then a whole shitload of goji berry and other shrubs that will act as a living fence that guard the trees, which are all in soldier lines, and in between those soldier lines is pasture. I will probably, I would never, well, not probably, unless life extension technology occurs and somebody drops a few million dollars to build this thing because purchasing of the land by itself is a million dollars minimum for 640 acres of land, dude. (laughs) The full aspect of what I have in my mind about this place is a multi-generational farm and pasture, and the potential for certain commodity crops like hemp, which actually help build soil, even though you are taking the fiber off the field and selling it for, you know, for the, for the fiber industry. You know, they make clothes and some people make car parts like fenders and, you know, like, you know, molding and stuff like that, right? But it builds soil, right? And the whole point that I'm getting at here is that if I were to go do that tomorrow, like somebody, like, let's say somebody listened to this and they were like a billionaire and they said, you know what? I'm just going to cut him a check for 10 million. See if he actually goes and does it or if he's just full of shit. No, I'd go do it. And then it would take a shit ton of labor to get all the trees in. But those trees are like, how high? How high are those trees when I plant them? Even if like, if I don't plant them from a walnut, from a, like a, a black walnut and plant them, which is what I probably should do. But let's say I put, you know, three year old trees in 1,440 of them. How long before they even produce their first nut? Seven years, maybe three. It depends on the variety. But even then they're not 70 feet tall and 70 feet wide, like a mature tree. I'll never see that. Not once in my entire life. If I did it tomorrow, I would never see that. I would never see chopping down like the first 10 trees. And I know you're probably freaking out. Chopping down the first 10 trees um, and then selling them for veneer and then planting in their place replacement black walnut trees. I have a whole sequence. The whole thing's in my head. The whole thing's in my head. And I could do the whole, I could set the whole thing up tomorrow. I could go get a crew of a thousand people. Let's say somebody dumped like a billion dollars on me and I was able to pay these people. I could get it done. I could get it done this spring. I could, I could hire enough people and enough machinery and get enough stock that I could have that entire project, 640 acres planted out by the end of the spring. And I will never see the end of it because I'm not doing it just for me. I'll see part, I would see part of the proceeds. I would see part of nut harvest. I would see part of cattle going through and grazing and making the land better and better and getting some of the money off of that meat as it's sold. I'd see some of it, but the full beauty of what's in my brain won't happen until 35 years, 50 years after I'm dead in the ground and worm food. And this woman has the same way of thinking about it. That we're, we can't just get somebody to give them a wallet, throw some Bitcoin in there and have them automatically just orange pilled. That doesn't happen. 
This woman has the right attitude. You're planting a seed. And you've got to come to grips with your humanity, the facts on the ground, and your future that you will never, ever, ever most likely see the outcome of the planting of that seed. But if you see a sprout, it'll make you smile. If it grows two or three years and there's more and more leaves on that sprout and it becomes like a full-blown actual small tree, it's going to make you smile even more. At least you'll be able to see that. But this whole going full bore and like slamming into somebody and and thinking that when you're done that they're going to be a full-blown Bitcoiner is a high time preference attitude. And it doesn't work. It doesn't fit with the ethos of Bitcoin. So keep that in mind. When you go out to orange pill somebody, I would read this one again. Uh, I've got the uh, link in the show notes if you want to. Um, And so I highly recommend that you read this maybe a couple of times because it's a very, very good one. Uh, Representative Davidson to introduce legislation to fire the SEC boss Gary Gensler for crypto overreach. I don't think Gary Gensler is going to get fired. Uh, Cointelegraph, Stephen Cate, I think is how you pronounce it. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, or the SEC chair, Gary Gensler, could be facing unemployment. Bullshit. After State Representative Warren Davidson declared he would introduce legislation to fire the SEC boss. In an April 15th tweet, responding to Coinbase's legal chief, Paul Grewal, the crypto-friendly congressman, announced his intention to have Gensler removed from his role after the SEC's latest announcement about revisiting the proposed redefinition of unexchange. Quote, to correct a long series of abuses, I am introducing legislation that removes the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission and replaces the role with an executive director that reports to the board where authority resides, Davidson tweeted. Former chairs of the SEC are ineligible, he added. Gensler said in an April 14th meeting, the proposed rule amendments could benefit investors and markets by bringing certain brokers under additional regulatory scrutiny, as well as modernizing rules that define what an exchange actually is. Similar amendments were proposed in January of 2022. At the time, crypto advocacy groups suggested that it was an overreach of the SEC's authority that could jeopardize participation in the space. SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce also known as Crypto Mom, criticized the new proposed rule amendments in an April 14th statement declaring stagnation, centralization, expatriation, and extinction are the watchwords of the latest move by the SEC. Quote, rather than embracing the promise of new technology as we have done in the past, here we propose to embrace stagnation, force centralization, urge expatriation, and welcome extinction of new technology. Damn, she's, that's a well-worded rebuke. Take, do it like that. When you go bitch at Bitcoin Magazine, do it like that. That sounds good. Quote, accordingly, I dissent. Good for you. According to Pierce, unlike the past, when the SEC embraced new technology, the modern regulator has been expanding its reach to solve problems that don't exist. She further opined that the SEC has taken the approach of refusing to alter current regulations to allow room for new technologies and new ways of doing business. Quote, Today's commission tells entrepreneurs trying to do new things in our markets to come in and register. Quote, when entrepreneurs find they cannot, 
The commission dismisses the possibility of making practical, practical adjustments to our registration framework to help entrepreneurs register and instead rewards the good faith with an enforcement action, end quote. Pierce also accused the SEC of using the notice and comment rulemaking process as a threat. According to Pierce, because of the concerns over the ambiguity and scope of the new proposed rule changes and the SEC's limited understanding of the space, a concept release should have been issued instead. Quote, I wish we had proceeded differently, end quote. Over the last few years, the SEC has launched more than a few high-profile actions against crypto companies such as Ripple, Library, and Coinbase over alleged violations. It has also taken aim at staking and stablecoins, prompting some critics to argue the SEC has been using enforcement actions to develop the law on a case-by-case basis rather than creating clear regulations. So even Hester Pierce is kind of pissed off at Gary Gensler. But any of those people that are out there that read this, that are thinking that Warren Davidson's actually going to get Gary Gensler fired, you, I, I want what, whatever it is you're smoking. I don't think Warren Davidson has a hope in hell. In fact, I think he kind of, I think he kind of hurt himself. All he really needed to do was issue a full rebuttal and a rebuke. He didn't need to go full on, you know, nuclear option because a, I don't think he's going to be able to get this through. And B, I don't know. I got to say it, it. It looks a little silly to me. I, I sure as shit wouldn't have gone this way, but that's just me. Now, uh, let's, oh, I know what we got to do. We got to do boostograms. I got uh, seven of them for episode 705. That was on Friday named CivKit is going to rock. And if you haven't looked at CivKit yet, you need to look at CivKit. And I think it was at NIP15. I think it's NIP15 is also a uh, marketplace uh, NIP that you got to go look at. Just, I don't know, Google GitHub and NIP15 and see if you see if you get to that. Now, DeBozak with Boob Boost 8008 says, Shaz. And Wartime Psycho with the Striper Boost says, Spinning Hard Drive. Let's get you an SSD, man. Yeah, no shit. Uh, Nick underscore dose with 6,789 Satoshi says, cheers. Uh, Jory X McKee says, I might be tempted to buy one of your Mesa Boogie amps on CivKit. I love the name and branding. Bitcoin is the only reason I have several really nice guitars and such. Yeah, and that was for 2,222 sats. That's a what we call in the biz a row of ducks. Uh, Jory X McKee with another row of ducks says, I heard an interesting comparison this morning. Twitter taking on eToro is the moment when Blockbuster added a candy section. (laughs) Can't disagree. Dabrovko says with 1000 sats, again, like Bernie Sanders, I'm asking for your help and laughing emojis. And last up, God's death with 100 sats says, it's all ball bearings nowadays. That's right. Ball bearings all the way down. I will tell you this though, before we run the numbers, uh, without your help, I would not be at number nine today. So you got me back into the top 10. I asked, you answered, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. I got <clears throat> West Texas Intermediate down 
just over two points to $80.79 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise down almost two points, $84.66 a barrel. Natural gas, however, doing what natural gas does. It's up 6.81% today to back to $2.25 per thousand. Gasoline swinging low, 2.5 to the down. Uh, $2.70. Is that 76 cents? Let's see here. Uh, 70. Yeah. $2 and 76 cents a gallon. <clears throat> Shiny metal rocks are mixed. Gold is down a third of a point to $2,008. Silver is down 1.47%. Platinum is up a half point. Copper is down 0.8% and palladium is up 3.59%. Ag is mostly up today. Got wheat. Uh, no, actually, coffee is the th uh, winner at 3.79% to the upside, uh, followed directly by wheat, 1.79% to the upside. Only loser today is rice, down two-thirds of a point. I got, uh, let's see here. Whoop-de-doo. Live cattle is up, whoa, 0.7%. Lean hogs up 0.17. Feeder cattle up almost 0.6%. Uh, Dow is down scant. It's basically moving sideways. S&P future or S&P not much better. 0.16 to the downside. NASDAQ almost a full point. No, a full half point to the downside. And the S&P mini is the only one up 0.17%. Real money having some problems today. $29,499.37. That's after 307,500 BTC were sent in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value is uh, 1.03 BTC. Median transaction value holding 0.012 BTC or about 350 bucks. Uh, say hello to where we were four years ago on that one. Block times are slightly low, nine minutes and 40 seconds. 0.12 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 18 and a half taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 6.53% decrease in hash rate, we are at 328.16 exahashes per second. And my guys are just starting to use gas powered equipment. They're going to kill the environment, according to Greta Thunberg. Oh my God, we're all going to die now. Dogecoin is back up into the upper echelons because apparently uh, our friend Elon Musk was talking about Dogecoin again over the weekend. So the weak-minded out there are more weak-minded than you could possibly ever imagine. I mean, really? He talks again about Doge and you go out and you buy it? I, I mean, I am fully, fully now aware that 70% of the world's population are just sheep and cattle. Just, I mean, it, if you're going to act like sheep and cattle, then expect it to be treated like sheep and cattle. You know, the people walking around going, I can't believe they, they just treat us like freaking chattel. Well, stop acting like it. And people will stop lifting money off of your ass. I mean, come on, man. I mean, really? Really? It's like 9 billion or what, 8 billion people on this planet and 70% of them are just stupid rubes? You're really going to fall for that shit again? My God almighty. Uh, hold on. We have a $570 million, no million, billion dollar market cap. 
That is 4.24% of gold's entire market cap. You may now purchase 14.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,348,755.71 of. 5,438 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $160.4 million. We have 74,428 payment channels that we know about. 67.3% of all this stuff's being run over Tor. There is a upward difficulty adjustment of 0.7% scheduled here in the next couple of days, April the 20th, 2023. Mempool starting to get lighter. I can't believe it. It's awesome. It looks to me like there are 59 blocks in uh, mempool.spaces mempool. And for the first time in a while, a very long while, memory usage is below 300 megabyte, which is the default memory setting for most people's uh, nodes. If you don't reset the memory for your personal mempool, then it is stuck at 300 megabytes. And we are now currently at a memory usage in most mempools of 239 megabytes, which is well under. So therefore nothing is, no transactions are being purged, no matter what the cost. However, the cost of a low priority transaction is at 18 Satoshis per V-byte. High priority is gonna cost you 26 Satoshis that's about a buck oh seven for a standard SegWit transaction with no funny business going on. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Starting this one off with hacker exploits one. No, I'm sorry. Hacker exploits hundred finance protocol in $7.4 million heist, Andre Bagansky has it for Decrypt.co. The multi-chain lending protocol, 100 Finance, disclosed Saturday that it lost around $7 million after being hacked on the Ethereum Layer 2 blockchain optimism. Mm-hmm. The protocol team said it was preparing a postmortem on how the attack took place and it advised people not to speculate until it provides clarity via an official statement. Additionally, 100 Finance said it is trying to establish a dialogue with the hacker in hopes of recovering some or all of the stolen funds. In a separate tweet, 100 Finance said it was also taking or talking to different security teams about the incident. In a chat room on 100 Finance's Discord server, of all places, a pseudonymous member of the 100 Finance team named Acidbird said that, quote, the hacker is not talking yet but the team is working on all possible scenarios, end quote. Additionally, Acidbird said that members of the 100 finance team have been hit financially by the attack, including one person that had all of their stable coins on the protocol. On Sunday, the protocol asked users impacted by the attack and based in the U.S., specifically the state of New York, to contact 100 Finance on either Twitter or the messaging app Discord. 100 Finance first warned people on Twitter about the attack on Saturday when the value of protocol, the protocol's 100 Finance token, HND, was around four United States pennies, according to CoinGecko. Since then, it has fallen 46% to two United States pennies. The blockchain security firm CertiK broke down the attack on Twitter, explaining that the hacker was able to walk away with 75 
million dollars worth of digital assets after manipulating the exchange rate between Ethereum ERC-20 and H tokens. H tokens are described as interest-bearing tokenized representations or misrepresentations of user deposits on Hundred Finance's website, which can fluctuate in value depending on the activities of other borrowers. The attack also involved wrapped Bitcoin in Ethereum based, an Ethereum-based token that's backed one-to-one -one by Bitcoin. Pausing here to say, I wouldn't believe that for an instant. It's rehypothecated, I guarantee it. Continuing, the attacker was able to withdraw more tokens than they had deposited to 100 Finance, Sir Takei said. First, the attacker donated a large amount of wrapped Bitcoin to the smart contract on 100 Finance that determined the exchange rate between the wrapped Bitcoin and 100 Finance wrapped Bitcoin or HWBTC. This inflated the exchange rate after which the attacker took out a large loan, it's a loan, flash loan attack, and was then able to get the amount that they had donated back by redeeming a relatively small amount of 100 finance wrapped Bitcoin. According to the Web3 focused security firm Newman Cyber Technology, the loss incurred by 100 finance comprises over 1,000 Ethereum, around 1.2 million of the stablecoin USDC, Roughly 1.1 million of the stablecoin Tether, or it says here Tethern, but I'm pretty sure they're talking about USDT. And nearly 843,000 of the stablecoin DAI, among other tokens. The hack sustained by 100 Finance on Optimism comes just over a year after the protocol was hacked on Gnosis Chain, a blockchain project that runs on top of, you guessed it, the Ethereum network. That incident caused 100 Finance to temporarily pause its markets across chains. So yes, another one, another one bites the dust. I, I gave you, I think I gave you two different ones last week. This is all DeFi crap. It's all flash loans. It's all manipulating the Oracle of what a price is by manipulating smart contracts. It's, it's at this point, there's probably a protocol that is circulating around Discord of exactly how to execute this particular hack. Nobody in DeFi seems to give a shit because none of the architecture has actually changed. It's the same hack over and over and over again, and nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to notice. It's just like, whatever, dude, it's DeFi. It's all good. No, it's not good at all. Maybe it's better in rural America. Bitcoin Magazine, Hangumart, has this one entitled, Bitcoin is perfect for rural America. Rural America is not a monolithic entity, but rather a diverse and dynamic region that encompasses different landscapes, climates, and cultures. Some rural areas are more prosperous and developed than others, depending on factors such as natural resources, infrastructure, and industry. Some rural areas are more conservative and religious than others, depending on factors such as history, ethnicity, and immigration. Some rural areas are more connected and integrated with urban areas than others, depending on factors such as distance, transportation, and communication. Growing up in rural America is not better or worse than growing up in urban or suburban areas. It's just simply different. Each environment has its own advantages and disadvantages that shapes one life's experiences and outcomes. The important thing is to appreciate the diversity and richness of rural America. And if you can do that, 
you will recognize the potential contributions that Bitcoin can bring to this region in particular. Bitcoin's appeal lies in its ability to provide financial freedom, privacy, and innovation to its users. Bitcoin also embodies some of the values that rural America cherishes, such as independence, self-reliance, and entrepreneurship. Many rural Americans have embraced Bitcoin as a way to participate in the global economy, hedge against inflation, and diversify their income sources. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme, or it's a magic solution to all problems. It is a revolutionary technology that has the potential to transform the world of money and finance. But it also requires education, innovation, and adoption to reach its full potential. Bitcoin will have truly made it when small-town America understands what it really is, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system that empowers people to be their own banks. In fact, some of the largest and most advanced Bitcoin mining facilities are located in rural areas of the United States, particularly in Texas and the Mountain West region. Bitcoin mining requires lots of cheap energy and reliable, which rural areas can provide thanks to their abundant natural resources, deregulated power markets, and low population densities. Bitcoin mining also creates jobs, tax revenues, and economic development for rural communities that may otherwise struggle to attract investment and innovation. Bitcoin mining is not only a profitable business, but also a way to support the Bitcoin network and its ideals. By mining Bitcoin, rural Americans are contributing to the security, decentralization, and resilience of the cryptocurrency that best encompasses their values. Bitcoin can benefit small-town America in many other ways as well. Here are some examples. Bitcoin can help small businesses compete and grow by lowering their costs and increasing their customer bases. Small businesses can accept Bitcoin as a payment option and attract more customers who prefer to use digital currencies. They can also save money on fees by using Bitcoin instead of credit cards. Bitcoin can help farmers and producers sell their products directly to consumers without intermediaries or middlemen. Farmers and producers can use Bitcoin to create their own marketplaces and set their own prices. They can also use Bitcoin to track and verify the quality and origin of their products, enhancing their reputations and trustworthiness. Bitcoin can help local communities fund their own projects and initiatives without depending on external sources or authorities. Local communities can use Bitcoin to raise money for causes that they care about, such as education, healthcare, infrastructure. They can also use Bitcoin to reward volunteers or contributors who participate in their efforts. Finally, Bitcoin can help individuals achieve financial freedom and independence by giving them access to an open global financial system. Individuals can use Bitcoin to save money for their future goals, such as buying a house, starting a business, or retiring early. Of course, There are perceived challenges and risks involved in using Bitcoin, such as volatility, security, regulation, and education. But these challenges can be overcome with time and effort, and that the benefits do outweigh the cost. Bitcoin is a benefit for rural America because it offers a decentralized and secure way of storing and transferring value. Unlike traditional financial institutions, Bitcoin doesn't require physical infrastructure, intermediaries, or fees. This makes it accessible and affordable for rural communities that may lack banking services or face high transaction costs. Bitcoin also empowers rural Americans to participate in the global economy and have more control over their own money. Well, yes and no. Because here's here's the thing with rural communities as they stand right now and, and let's take the last 20 years in general. 
uh, let's take the amalgam of the last 20, 25 years of rural America. And what have you seen? You've seen the young folks move away to go to college and they never come back. Not all of them, I get that, but the great guts and feathers of, you know, farm girls and boys moving away to go to whatever, like Texas Tech University, and they, they you know, get into animal science or whatever, and maybe they have, uh, maybe they think that they're going to go back to the farm, but they don't. They end up in Chicago or New York or LA, or they're working at a zoo, or they're working at like, I don't know, like Monsanto or, or well, not Monsanto anymore, bear crop science. Who knows? Who knows? It's just that they don't really come back. So what you end up with is an older generation in rural America that honestly, you know, we see the same attitude with people like Warren Buffett. They just, it's not that they don't have any, any interest at all. It's that they don't need to have any interest at all. Not to say that these people are rich in rural Americas. They're not. They definitely could use Bitcoin. But I mean, we go right back to that. We go right back to uh, Scott's wife, you know, talk, uh, playing hodl up with the college kids. You know, how did you first approach them? You know, in, in an 18 year old, a 20 year old, 21 year old, you know, honestly, they're going to be way more open to something new than somebody who's 70 and still breaking fingers, closing gates behind cattle. You know, I mean, they're still working their ass off. And you're going to do what? Just go up to them and say, Bitcoin solves all your problems. No, 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 no. So the question becomes, what needs to happen to rural America in general? And honestly, this probably goes for rural communities around the world, but we'll just focus on America. Young people are going to have to start coming back, which means what? They need a reason to come back. Now, we may not be too far away from that. Chicago just saw a whole buttload of teenagers acting like, I don't know, I won't, I won't say it, acting, acting poorly in a very, very poor manner in, all through Chicago over the weekend. And I said on Noster, windows closing, ladies and gentlemen, get out. Get out, get out. You can go to the edge of the city and be a hell of a lot safer than if you're in inner city Chicago. Same goes for Houston, Dallas. Fort Worth is actually kind of cool as a, as a city. They're not bad. Dallas, whoa, a different deal altogether. But, you know, uh, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, all these places, they're too big for their britches. And these are all flashpoint cities. What flashpoint city simply means that if shit goes south like a duck in winter, the first people that are going to feel the crunch and lash out physically with violence and other means is going to be the flashpoint cities. And the, the closer you are to the center of those cities, the harder it is to get the hell out. So the window is closing. Cities are starting to lose their collective minds. And it... I'm not saying that you run away to the town that has 1,000 people living in it in the middle of Iowa. I'm not saying that either. But I, I think what we're going to start seeing, and we have been, we've already been seeing the exodus of a lot of people out of great big cities, and they're moving to smaller cities. But they're not necessarily going rural. There's, for the, a lot of these people, 
they don't perceive there as being something for them in the rural communities in the United States. Everybody knows because of Texas Slim and, and others and people like me who've been saying it is that the American rancher is being crushed. But nobody really talks about what the American farmer's undergoing. The American farmer, the only reason they're making any money at all is subsidies and chemical fertilization. But if they lose subsidies, they can't afford chemical fertilization. What have they been doing with chemical fertilization over the last 25 years? They've been destroying their soil biology. Why is that important? Because the living things in the soil actually fertilize the soil. But we didn't ever know that until lately. And now, if you don't get the soil biology back up and completely functional, you won't be able to recycle nutrients out of the atmosphere. One of the big macronutrients being what? Nitrogen. Plants fix that shit into the soil if you let them. But if you kill everything you see, like a good Marine Corps sniper, well, you're not going to have any other option but to go to bear crop science and get a bunch of synthetic stuff. And once you start laying fertilizer down, plants don't actually, they're not actually as functional, so they get what? They get pests and diseases, which means what? Pesticides. <laughs> And stuff like, you know, well, like, like let's say fungicides, right? Well, fungicides kill all the fungus in the soil. So now we've got fertilizer, we've got pesticides, we've got herbicides, we've got fungicides, we've got all the sides. And it kills everything because it's a concerted effort. They work in concert. It is a concerted effort to kill everything but this one thing. Not only is it a monocrop of corn, there's no bacteria. There's no actinomycetes, which is also a type of bacteria. There's no fungus. There, and without those food sources, there's no what? There's no bugs, right? So you'd think that the corn borer wouldn't want to be there either. But they do because the corn is weak. Why? No soil biology. It, the whole system is collapsing. So how on earth do you entice somebody out of college to go back to the farm? This is the question. So this entire article, it's, it's, it's a lovely article. It's a lovely thought. Yes, absolutely. Bitcoin can help. You really think you're going to go orange pill a 70-year-old rancher? Tell him what he knows is, is wrong. And here's this new thing that you've got to learn. The guy's 70 years old, dude. It doesn't mean that he's not worth trying for, but you, sh you certainly aren't probably going to get very far. That's just fact, right? It doesn't mean don't try, but if you are going to try with these guys, it's got to be a different way. It has to be a different way. It's got to be more like, Oh, and I'm not going to say Scott's wife again, because honestly, that's kind of damn rude. Let me do this one. Uh, Gen Z. Uh, do, 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 do. Tolly, T-A-L-I, Tolly Lindbergh, uh, or Taylor. I, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I didn't ask Scott. She's got the right idea. You really need to go read this one called Game On, The Challenge of Introducing Bitcoin 
to uninterested Gen Z college students. You could actually say the challenge of introducing Bitcoin to the uninterested. Anybody, 70 years old, 12 years old, the uninterested, because we are still walking around like zombies thinking that everything's just going to be okay. And dude, things are not going to be just okay. But still, if you can get out of the cities and get more rural, that will help. You will help. Do you really want to be in Chicago? Is there any way, if it's not just your job, right, that you have to be physically present within 40 minutes of your job in Chicago, do you have to be there? And if you don't, if the answer is no, I, I don't have to actually be there, then ask yourself why you're still there. And further than that, ask yourself, what about moving out of those cities would you miss that you couldn't replace doing something that's out in a rural community? Sure, you're not going to go to the ballet. How long does it take... How far out do you want to move from Chicago? How long does it take you to drive back in to go see a ballet? You can buy the tickets online, dude. You want to go see the symphony? I hear you. You know, you want to be part, you still be like, go see art shows and, and museums and be part of that culture. Just because you live an hour outside of town doesn't mean you can't drive back in. I mean, do you go to the museum every day? Do you see the symphony every day? Does that hour away look more like a commute for you to be able to engage with that which is in the city? Or is it more like, well, we actually only go to the ballet once a month. Okay, well then what's an hour? See, how do we change our thinking? This recharges rural communities and bring your Bitcoin sensibilities with you. And when you move there, then maybe start asking people, do you take Bitcoin? I mean, I really don't think hyper-Bitcoinization happens without that. But one thing I'm pretty sure of is that hyper-Bitcoinization isn't going to happen as fast as I think we think it's going to happen. That's just my estimation. Don't kill me. Let's see what the United States SEC is doing now. Oh, look. <laughs> Bittrex faces potential action from the SEC, according to a report, Helen Parts Coin Telegraph. The United States cryptocurrency exchange Bittrex is reportedly facing potential action from the United States securities regulator despite pairing, preparing to shut down local operations. The enforcement division of the SEC is inclined to recommend the agency sue Bittrex over alleged violations related to investor protection, the Wall Street Journal reported yesterday, April the 16th. The enforcement unit informed Bittrex about potential action from the SEC in March. Bittrex's general counsel, David Maria, reportedly said, by that time, the Seattle-based crypto firm had already started the process of winding down its U.S. operations, the attorney stated. In the Notice of Potential Enforcement Action, known as a Wells Notice, the SEC wrote that Bittrex had violated laws by doing business as an exchange, broker-dealer, and clearinghouse without registering with the regulator. According to Bittrex's general counsel, the company discussed with the SEC in late 2022 how to register its operations. The crypto firm found that there was no opportunity to follow the rules of the SEC without essentially ceasing all of its revenue-producing activities inside the country. Attorney Maria stressed that Bittrex's inability to comply with the SEC rules was due to the agency not providing clear regulations for crypto in the first place. He stated, quote, 
The lack of regulatory clarity here results in substantial cost and no certainty as to what can and can't be offered, end quote. Bittrex is not aware whether the SEC is going to file a lawsuit now that the company is terminating operations in the United States. If the agency decides to take action, Bittrex will litigate until regulators came with a reasonable settlement offer, the council reportedly added. The news came soon after Bittrex announced plans to stop all operations in the United States on March the 31st, citing the challenging regulatory and economic environment. The exchange advised U.S. customers to withdraw their funds by April the 30th of uh, 2023. Before it decided to leave the U.S., Bittrex had faced some issues at home. In 2022, Bittrex agreed to pay more than $29 million in fines from the United States. Uh, Department of Treasury's Office of Foreign Asset Control and Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. The settlement was related to sanctions, violations in the Crimea region, Cuba, Iran, Sudan, and Syria between the years of 2014 and 2017. This goes right back to Warren Davidson's pissed off letter or whatever it was that he sent out calling for the firing and replacement of chairman of, of the SEC, Gary Gensler. I mean, him and a couple of other people in that story that I brought you earlier today. Let's see, where was it? Uh, hold on. Where was it? I had it. Uh, hold on. Legislation to fire. Yeah, Rep. Davison. Um, <clears throat> that's that, coin, that other Cointelegraph article. So here's the deal. that Warren Davidson and other, at all, I guess, is saying exactly what this thing up here said was, let's see, where was it? Uh, hold on. Yeah. In the notice of potential enforcement action, known as a Wells notice, the SEC wrote that Bittrex had violated laws by doing business as an exchange without registering. According to Bittrex's general counsel, the company discussed, they actually sat down with the SEC in late 2022 on how to register its operations, and the firm found that there was no opportunity to follow the rules of the SEC without essentially ceasing all of its revenue-producing activities in the country. So what they're saying, or what Bittrex's general counsel is saying here, is that there was no, the way that the SEC was going to force registration or allow registration, I guess, is the rules made it to where they weren't going to be able to operate in the United States. Now, I don't know if that's during the application and registration process or forever, but honestly, if you can't do business forever because of registration, then why the hell register? Just shut down your operations because you're going to have to shut them down anyway, whether you register or not. And if registration is only to get away from the SEC filing a lawsuit on your ass, well, apparently that shit won't work either because now they're filing a lawsuit on their ass, or at least so we, so we suspect. And I did see a Noster note during one of the many breaks that I had to take because of chainsaws and other, you know, gasoline-powered uh, greenhouse warming uh, uh, instruments of, of humanity's death according to Greta Thunberg, um, that I read that they have, in fact, served a lawsuit. Now, I haven't seen a story on that right now as far as this Cointelegraph story is uh, reporting is that it's, it's, they don't know, but from what I read during one of the many breaks, uh, it has happened, but I haven't been able to confirm that. So there you go. Register, not register, you're screwed either way, apparently, which is why Warren Davidson is so pissed off at Gary Gensler. And at this point, 
It's not that I disagree with Warren Davidson. Gary Gensler is acting like he's kind of acting like he doesn't know what's going on and is just reaching for straws. So it's not that I disagree with Warren Davidson. I just don't think it's going to happen because it's all probably part of choke point 2.0 where they need some dude in there like Gary Gensler who's just literally shooting six guns from the hip like he's in the middle of a wild west town and doesn't really care where he's aiming at. That causes confusion in the masses of the people that live in the town. And therefore, it's a hell of a lot easier to come in and wrangle up what you want to wrangle up because nobody's out there to stop you. They're all scared to death. They're all in the saloon or in the brothel or in the whatever. But they sure shit don't want to be out on the street with Gary Gensler because the dude is psychotic, brothers. Now, gold bugs. Not exactly psychotic. Some of them are very, very correct. But let's see what this one is about. Goldbugs still don't get it. Bitcoin's ledger makes it the better store of value. Hmm. Bitcoin Magazine, Luke Groom is writing it. In the last couple of years, Jordan Peterson has been diving down the sound money rabbit hole. And for me, it's been a pleasure to watch from a distance. So many of the values he espouses align with the values that Bitcoin encourages, such as personal responsibility and a search for truth. So it was only a matter of time before he became interested in Bitcoin. He has spoken with Saifedean Amis and Robert Breedlove in recent years, even as a non-Bitcoiner per se, captivated the audience at the Bitcoin conference in Miami of last year. A more recent conversation with uh, Roy Sabag was also enjoyable to listen to, though it illustrated for me the need to discuss the differences between gold and Bitcoin not just their properties as monetary units, but also the properties of their ledgers. To be sure, gold bugs such as Sabag and Peter Schiff share many beliefs with Bitcoiners. I respect them for their work. There's a lot of overlap in the problems and solutions that both gold bugs and Bitcoiners address, but the arguments for Bitcoin as a superior unit of account have been discussed at length. Sabag and Schiff argue that gold is valuable in part because it has other uses such as cell phone parts and dentistry, whereas Bitcoin has no other uses. This is true. However, I'm not sure how this is relevant. Why do we need our money to have other features besides just being money? Where's that written? If the monetary premium for gold disappeared and it was only used for tangible purposes, gold's price would collapse. Furthermore, if gold became the global unit of account, as gold bugs want it to be, gold would be used even less for non-monetary purposes due to cost limitations. Its monetary premium would increase, thereby weakening their own argument about having other valuable uses. The monetary unit need only have good monetary properties and interact well with its ledger. As the generally accepted properties of money dictate, an ideal monetary unit would be portable, durable, accepted, scarce, fungible, divisible, and resistant to counterfeiting. As a unit, Bitcoin is equal or superior to gold in all of these features with the exception of acceptability. Gold's market cap is still roughly 20 times that of gold's, meaning it is still more widely accepted. Talking about the units, however, is only a fraction of the conversation. We must also look at the ledger. Our modern society requires the use of ledgers to transact money. Moving physical dollars or physical gold around the world is simply too costly, dangerous, and logistically challenging. Instead, 
We rely on the ledgers of credit card companies, banks, and central banks to facilitate the movement of money. Our whole system, except for the relatively few physical dollars in existence, is a system of entirely ledger-based money. Because ledgers have become necessary in modern commerce and because no one is advocating a return to society in which all commerce is conducted exclusively by in-person exchanges of money, when analyzing monetary systems, we must not only look at the units on our ledgers, but also the ledgers themselves. Bitcoin's properties as a ledger are what make it a far superior monetary system to anything else in existence. If we were to think of the properties that make up an ideal ledger, they would be reliable, unattackable, verifiable, global, accessible, trustworthy, and able to provide fast final settlement. While the sound money properties of gold versus those of Bitcoin were relatively close when considering the units, units behind the ledger, when comparing the ledgers themselves, Bitcoin is far superior. From a monetary unit perspective, Bitcoiners and gold bugs agree that a gold-based system could encourage monetary responsibility and limit inflation. However, gold bugs have not provided any prevalent suggestions to improve the United States dollar ledger system. <clears throat> that current system is flawed in that it is unverifiable for individuals, inaccessible for individuals to interact with directly, and slow to process final settlement. How would a gold-based ledger be any better? Furthermore, the gold bugs have not provided any meaningful suggestions about how to avoid the problems of debasement, which have been a constant for centuries. We have already run the experiment of a gold-based ledger over the past 800 years. The Medici family popularized the ledger-based gold-backed banking in Italy and throughout Europe as early as the 12th and 13th centuries. Europeans, in effect, used ledgers to transfer their gold at great distances. People and governments continue to use those systems of overlapping ledgers backed by gold for centuries, and each of those countries saw a corruption of the ledger, the failure of their currency, or the debasement of gold. So, what mechanisms do gold bugs suggest to avoid the corruption and debasement of a gold-based ledger in the future? I have not heard any. Bitcoin is beautiful in that it provides an elegant solution to both the unit and the ledger. The unit provides all the characteristics of sound money, and the ledger is reliable, unattackable, verifiable, global, accessible, provides fast final settlement, and is trustworthy. An individual can personally interact with the ledger and provide verified final settlement across the globe in a matter of minutes on a ledger that doesn't require a trusted intermediary. I have a lot of respect for gold bugs, and even own a modest amount of gold myself. With that respect in mind, I asked Peterson, Sabag, Schiff, and other gold bugs when comparing monetary systems to analyze both the unit and the ledger and then come to their own conclusions. I like this piece a lot because it, the, in, in very many ways, we don't talk enough about the ledgering system that Bitcoin provides. Uh, we talk about the unit as is you know, mentioned in this piece several times, but we really don't talk about the ledger and what that ledger means. And he's not, he's not wrong. Bitcoin provides a solution, a very elegant solution to both of these situations. I mean, what good does it do me to go to Italy with one pound of gold and deposit it in an Italian bank in the 12th century and have them give me a piece of paper 
that I can take to England, say. Actually, probably not England, not in the 12th century. Uh, let's say something closer to home. Let's say maybe Greece. I, I, I don't know. I'm not an expert in modern history, but just bear with me. And take it to Greece and say, hey, I got this letter from the Medici Bank up there in Rome. And, 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 and I got a pound of gold up there and I need to buy some shit over here. Uh, here you go. Here's this piece of paper. Under what circumstances do they trust that piece of paper? Because that piece of paper is an extension of the ledger system that was used to log my one pound of gold deposit in that particular bank. What kind of problems were there or what kind of specific instances of problems. I'm talking like where somebody said, well, I got this letter from the Medici's. I'm going to go to Greece and I'm going to buy a shit ton of silk. And then he gets to Greece and he goes up to the silk merchant and says, I got a pound of gold in the Medici bank. And the silk merchant says, go pound sand. I don't trust you. Last time I did this, I, I got wiped out of all my silk because somebody had a counterfeit note with the same seal of approval that was pressed in wax. I thought it was Medici. It wasn't. I had never got anything for it. So go screw it. How many instances of that do you think probably happened? I'm guessing quite a few. Because why wouldn't it happen? You see what's going on in DeFi today. You see the greed of people around the world getting them into one pool of trouble and they jump out of that and then they get into a warmer pool of trouble until the next thing they know they're boiling alive in the last pool that they'll ever see because greed and weirdness and stupid decisions seem to rule the human spirit. Why wouldn't this have happened? I mean, do you really, is somebody out there going to recommend to me that everything was fine in Medici, Italy? No, I guarantee it wasn't. Scams were rampant. People were getting defrauded. And it was all due to paper, which is an extension of what? The ledger. The ledger. Bitcoin's ledger in this case is instantly transportable to anywhere in the world. Hell, even in low earth orbit. Hell, even the moon. We don't start getting funky until we get out to Mars. And that's because of mining times being 10 minutes versus the speed of light. But let's not go there. Let's keep it at home. Like from New York to, you know, somewhere in Florida, right? Not, not great distances. That ledger is everywhere. I can go to Germany and I can pop, you know, pop my uh, keys into my private keys into an Electrum, you know, Electrum server that I spin up at a hotel room on my laptop. And all of a sudden, guess what? You know, if I'm not connected to my own node and I'm connected to somebody else's node, chances are good. That's a, a functional ledger. And if I don't trust that one, let's say I connect to 10 and nine out of the 10 say the exact same thing. Well, then I pretty much know where the Bitcoin is. So the ledger not only is Bitcoin as the unit transportable, the ledger comes along for the ride. It's almost as if every UTXO brings with it a full copy of the ledger, right? Because you have to attach to the ledger to be able to functionally execute any kind of trade with Bitcoin, whether I'm trading it for honey or for whatever reason, I want to go degen and go to Bitrix, whatever. It doesn't matter. 
the U, having to, to change the vector of a UTXO necessitates that I have access to the full ledger. Gold, impossible to do. Why? Because the unit is physical and the ledger is now digital. And it doesn't matter what is physically there. I can't fully go inspect every single warehouse of gold if I'm doing business away from that warehouse of gold. I've got to depend on the ledger, not the physical gold. I have to take their word for it, and their word is in the ledger. So we really probably ought to start thinking and talking just as much about the ledger of Bitcoin as Bitcoin itself. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says, jokes. My dad was born as a conjoined twin, but the doctors managed to separate them at birth. Turns out, I have an uncle once removed. Get it? Ah, uh, yeah. It's terrible. That's the way they're supposed to be. Dad jokes are supposed to be awful. I want to thank everybody for getting me out of the swamp water that is the uh, top 20 and back into the good graces of the top 10. And I got exactly what I asked for. Number nine. Remember Friday? I was going, well, I can, I can, I, I can chill out with number nine. Number nine is good. And that's exactly what I got. So I saw something the other day that said, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So, like Bernie Sanders, I asked for your help and you gave me your help. And I appreciate that because I can't do that myself, not ethically anyway. I could do it, but it wouldn't be ethical. <laughs> and I don't, I really, really want to, I kind of want to go out of this world at least trying to be and have left evidence that I was trying to be the best person that I could be, even though I'm flawed like any other human and can be a scumbag sometimes, but I'm trying, I'm trying. And you guys helped me get out of the top 20 back into the top 10. I appreciate that. I am always going to continuously need your help to keep this show. And it's not just in the top 10 It's to keep the show alive. You know, boost me, send, send Satoshis through streaming Satoshis. And, and also, and I was thinking about this the other night in, you know, I ask for you guys to, you know, shop my show around to uh, other people that, you know, your family, your friends saying, Hey, if you want to learn, you know, keep up what's going on with Bitcoin on a daily basis, go to Bitcoin. And, but what I really haven't been doing is asking that you tell other people about podcasting 2.0 in general. Do you have a friend or a family member that listens to podcasts? Tell them about podcasting 2.0 all by itself, what it does, how it works, why it's cool, how you, how they would have the potential to support their favorite podcasters on podcasting 2.0. If not only they used the technology, but their favorite podcasters use the technology and the more podcasters and the more musicians, AKA Joe Martin, little shout out to Joe Martin, who is releasing his first album um, <clears throat> on podcasting. Well, well, he's using the value for value technology. And essentially, I think he's basically using podcasting 2.0, but he's releasing an album. And Joe Martin, hats off to you, pal, because apparently as far as I know, 
you're sort of the first guy that's done it. And I want movies and I want television shows and I want, I don't know, video games. And, uh, you know, the other thing that I would really love to see on a value for value modeling, other than podcasting, is the ability to rent a very expensive piece of software by the minute. Just depending on, like, just to mouse moves. If I'm moving my mouse, then I'm sending Satoshis. Seriously. Because that, I mean, that would be the only trigger that you would need unless you're using a piece a piece of software that doesn't involve moving a mouse very much. Uh, I'm thinking more of 3D modeling and, and uh, game engine technology. So you're moving a mouse quite a bit or a pointer, you know, whatever it is that you're moving your pointer on, on the screen with. I'd like to see that as value for value. But the more people that we can get in value for value, the more people might actually accidentally run across the Bitcoin and podcast stream and think that they like it and think that I have brought them value for the day by letting them know what the hell's going on in Bitcoin that day. Today was a little rough. I'll give you that. I've got, I had to, to dump out and come back in several times because guys are running chainsaws and shit outside right now. It's the probably the eye of the storm because they're they let me know that they were coming back. They had me move my car because they need to put a dump truck in the driveway so they can get all this wood out. So God only knows how long this operation is going to last. No matter how long it lasts, though, I hope you stay with me and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.